Activity. So I'm still meditating on Psalm 117. Yes, it's the middle chapter of the Bible. It's a central scriptural truth. Yes, it's the shortest chapter in the Bible. Uh, a direct and pointed truth for all of us to understand and ultimately incarnate. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples, for His loving kindness is great toward us. How great is it? Yes, you know, it's infinite. The psalmist continues, And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. How everlasting is it? Yes, you know, for a billion eternities. And then the psalmist closes out the short psalm with the key um, admonition here, praise the Lord, exclamation point. And I think what the Lord's laid on my heart these last several weeks is to expound on the, uh, on the uh, exclamation point. Uh, I think that's what this all means. Praise the Lord, exclamation point. Yes, as we've been saying the last few weeks, God has called us to praise Him, which means what? Does anybody remember? When God says, praise me, what is He saying to us? What's the backhanded command? Come and enjoy me. So this is no empty command. This is not something we read over. It's not something we read past. God says, come and have fellowship with me. It's what it means. It's what it means. We've been talking a lot about this the last few weeks. Praise is the consummation of joy. If you don't have any heartfelt praise for God, there's probably not any joy in your heart imparted there from the Spirit of God. This is a serious condition for anyone who would profess to be a Christian. We've been talking about it. God is our highest human pleasure. He is our highest pleasure. What do I mean truly our highest pleasure? This is not about ought and it's not about should. It's about Matthew 13, 44, the man who found the treasure in the field. Is Christ your treasure? Or is he your preeminent treasure? Or is he down the list somewhere? The Bible is clear. True Christianity, biblical Christianity, born-again Christianity will be evidenced by the fact that Jesus will be your pleasure. We have become, to borrow the term from John Piper, we have become Christian hedonists. Again, maximum human joy, but Jesus in John 17 has invited us into divine joy. That's John 17, 13, if you'd like to look it up. So we've been talking about that the true believer is fierce in praise, right? Fierce in praise. Yeah, try to stop us from praising the Lord. Last week we looked at the, the fruit of being fierce in praise. Does it, being fierce in praise, does anybody remember what it is? We are fierce in what? Obedience. Thank you, Deanna. The true believer is fierce in obedience which flows out of being fierce in praise. If you're not fierce in praise, <laughs> you're never going to be fierce in obedience. One must precede the other. 
Yes, we are hopelessly addicted to what we talked about last week, John 14, 21, the promise of Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will disclose myself to you. We don't obey because we're religious. We obey because John 14, 21 is true. It's what Psalm 117 looks like in the true believer's life. We touched on it last week. The Apostle Paul understood this. Philippians 1.21 It's not just beautiful prose. It's breathtaking theology. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And as I prepared to preach to you this week, I came across an old John Piper quote. American preacher in the States. This is what he said. Real Christians can never be only moderately interested in Jesus. I, I have to tell you, I've been in ministry, really. I was converted at 28, and at age 29, I was already in ministry. So for that long, you can do the math. I'm in, I'll be 65 in two weeks. For that long, I've been in the body of Christ. And I can't tell you how many people I've met who are moderately interested in Jesus. This is blasphemy. Listen, it would be better for you, if you're only moderately interested, it would be better for you to just go do something else. You can't be a real Christian and be moderately interested in Christ. We're either all in or we're not in. What is the greatest commandment? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the commandment. That's the mark he calls us to. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're moderately interested. Psalm 117 is about those who, were, who cannot simply be moderately interested. They must move on. They must go deep with the Lord. I want to say this while I'm on that point. If you're only moderately interest, interested in Christ, I don't have anything to offer you. I don't have one thing to offer you. If that's who you are, I can't help you. I can only help those who are hopelessly in love. That's who the Word of God addresses. So this week, as I thought about continuing to tease out Psalm 117, the Lord showed me another way He emboldens and empowers His people. Another place He calls us to be fierce. Those who are only moderately interested in Jesus cannot go to this place. They cannot follow Christ in this circumstance. So I'm going to let you guess. I'm going to read about four or five scriptures to you, and then I want you to tell me, in what kind of circumstance is God calling you and me to be fierce? Okay? So just listen to the text. And then I will ask you to tell me. Matthew 5, 10, and 11. You don't need to turn to these places. We're just going to hit them briefly. 
the outset of the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Acts 14, 22, the Apostle Paul says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. John 15, 18 and 20, Jesus says to his disciples, The world has hated me and it will hate you. Jesus said, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. On to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. God says to his people through his apostle, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though it's some strange thing that were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. The last one here, 2 Timothy 3, 12. The Spirit says through the apostle Paul, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, just looking at these verses, what is God calling us into? And what is He calling us to be? With, with Psalm 117 in the background, He's calling us to be fierce in what? Trial. He's calling us to be fierce. If we understand, if we really understand Psalm 117, we will be fierce in the trial. We will be. This is what God has called us to. We're not supposed to be surprised when it comes. We're supposed to be ready when it comes. God has told us it's coming. The trial's coming. Persecution is coming. Insult is coming. Abandonment is coming. Hatred is coming. False accusation is coming. It's all coming. And increasingly in the modern era, it's coming more and more and more for the believer. Stand up in the modern culture and speak contrary to PC and find out what it costs. Beloved, you've been called to be fierce in persecution. It's why he's left you here to be his witness. Yes, sometimes it will cost. Sometimes it will cost a lot. Some of you already know that. We have been called to be fierce when the persecution, the insult, the false accusation, the tribulation, the hatred, the suffering... When it all comes, we are to be fierce. What did Paul tell Timothy? Some who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Was that how it went? Almost all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. No. Every person who desires to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. It will happen. It's not if, it's when. It's not if. It's when, and you're supposed to be ready. I'm supposed to be ready. I'm supposed to be ready to weather the storm. You know, it's kind of like, I kept, as I studied this, this, 
This week I was thinking about, you know, the disciples in the storm, right? What happened when the the disciples were on the the, the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the storm? Who came to them? Anybody remember? Oh, it was Jesus. (laughs) You and I get disclosure in the trial and in the persecution. Real Christians are learning to incarnate Psalm 117 in our worship, as, we talked, as we've talked about, in our obedience, as we've talked about, and yes, tonight, as we will talk about, we will learn to incarnate Psalm 117 in the midst of hatred, insult, false accusation, and persecution. And no, you're not going to hear this sermon in happy church. You're not going to hear this sermon in most places, most so-called churches. As one of my seminary professors used to say, You won't hear this in a chatty church where they have a chatty preacher or a preacher who uh, is characterized as breezy, you know, a breezy church. I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay. That's why the gospel is the gospel, beloved. Everything is not okay. Everything is not okay. In the world at large, In each of our lives, we all have work to do, right? We all have work to do. I have miles to go. And I want you to understand, as always, when I preach to you, I am preaching to myself. So, God is talking to us like adults tonight, as He always does. But particularly tonight. Will you love Him in the persecution? Will you? Or are you only moderately interested in Jesus? And, only will, you, and will you only walk with him if there's no cost to it? But the, the problem with that, that uh, line of thinking is you don't find this in the Bible. There's always a cost to it. There's never not a cost to walking with the Son of God. So... In the biblical text I just read to you, it is the promise of God. Jesus says, if you go with me, if you go with me, it will cost. This is why you have to understand Psalm 117. Praise the Lord! Exclamation point, right? Laud Him all peoples. Laud Him all nations. Praise the Lord! You have to know His loving kindness is forever. And you have to know that His eternal truth will, will, cannot be turned back. It's invincible. If you know this stuff, you can do this sermon. If Psalm 117 is alive and well in your soul, then you, you can walk with Jesus. If it's not, you can't. You can go to church... We can all go to church. But Jesus has called us to much, much more. So what do you think? Do you really want to be a Christian? Okay. Do you really want to be one? Jesus says, this is what it looks like. Do you really want to be one? Are you on board tonight? Are you on board with a costly Christianity? Are you on board with that? That's the kind of Christianity God talks about in the Bible. 
He's not talking about a chatty Christianity, a breezy Christianity. He's not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. Not in this life. Some of you may have this. It's a blessing of God. But the lion's share of God's promises are not for this life. It's for the next. God says, if you want to walk with my son, persecution is involved, tribulation is involved, hatred is involved, insult is involved, false accusation is involved. All. Tell me what all means. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What does it mean? What does all mean? You know what it means. It means all. <laughs> I looked it up. It means all. Each. Everyone. It's what God says to us. So if we really give ourselves away to Jesus, we will suffer to one degree or another for our faith. It's a done deal. It cannot not happen. If it hasn't happened to you, it's coming. It's coming. You can just mark it down. If God is to be believed, it's coming. You will be persecuted because you love him. Because the world hates him. All you got to do is look at the media, man. I, I can just see, I can see the hatred for the sun in the media. Non-stop, 24-7. They don't even have to mention him. And yeah, we don't go looking for persecution, do we? Who wants it? Nobody wants it. I don't go looking for it. We don't orchestrate it. It comes to us. If the, if the light of God is shining off of us, right? If, the, if, if we're image bearers, if, if the reflection is, is bouncing off of us, men hate the light, John chapter 3. They hate the light. If you're the light, they're going to come after you. I was listening to uh, pardon me, John Piper preach on this some years ago. I loved what he said. My home country. I love what he said about America. He said, Christianity has gone from being an advantage in the culture to being no advantage in the culture to being a disadvantage in the culture to being worthy of persecution in the culture. That's in my lifetime. I fear for my children and my grandchildren. It's going to become increasingly more hostile. So we are called to be fierce in suffering. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 9. You can turn there if you want. I'm just going to read the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 9. Listen to what, G listen, listen to what the Lord says through his apostle. Peter talks about the amazing salvation we've been given in Christ. And then he says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, what does he say? If necessary, if what is necessary? If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. God says it's necessary for you. It's necessary that you are distressed by various trials. This is what God says. 
So that the proof of your faith, why is it necessary? So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is the test going to come? Why is it going to come? To prove your faith. To God? No, to you. You need to know you're real. You need to know you're not just a churchgoer. You need to know that. Why? Because if you know you belong to him and you actually read and understand your Bible, you can go out in the world and live it. And when the hate comes and the false accusation comes and the persecution comes, you are ready. You are ready to simply praise God, Psalm 117. To prove your faith and for the glory of Christ. Listen, when the persecution comes and you can love your persecutor, who gets glory here? Who gets... what? That makes people scratch their head and think, there must be something to this Jesus guy, right? <laughs> when the persecution comes, the hatred comes, the false accusation comes, and as 1 Peter says, or as Peter says in 1 Peter, we give a blessing. In the face of that, we give a blessing. How can we do it? Because we're ready. We know it's coming. We know it's coming. We know it's coming. So we're ready. Beloved, we should be ready. It's coming. It's coming. He continues, Peter continues, to the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. It's necessary. Don't you love it? When the trial comes, we don't have to think, where's God? We know where God is. He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of it. This trial has come to you because he loves you. He is going to prove to you that your faith is genuine. So you may be fearless in the world, right? And as you stand and love Christ in the middle of it, people see the value and worth of Jesus. It's your best evangelism. It's your very best evangelism. To love Jesus and to love your persecutor right in the heat of the moment. And you can't do that, man, unless you're prayed up. You can't do that unless you're ready. You can't do it. You won't do it. You can't do it. But if you're mature in the faith, you understand it's coming. And oh God, let me be ready. Let me be ready when it comes. A trial-tested faith. Isn't that what you want? <laughs> Isn't that what you want? Don't you want that? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. But don't you, really, don't you want that? Uh, a faith that's been tested and come through. There was a time in my life, went through a hard thing. I didn't know if I was going to come through. I'm just being honest with you. But God brought me through. 
And it was awesome. It's awesome to come through, right? It's awesome to come through. A trial tested faith. You guys know the famous verse, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, consider it a great burden when various trials come to you. Right? What does he say? What is the nonsense here? As, as John Piper says, why, why isn't James chapter 1 stupid? Because it says, consider it all joy when various trials come to you. Why is it not stupid? Because God's faithful. Because God's doing an awesome thing. In the midst of the trial. So when the hard thing comes, do you see it as a gift? Do you count it as joy? Yes, I know it's beautiful theology. But God means for it to be a practical reality in your life. You're ready. It, here it comes. You're ready. You're prayed up. You're ready. And you can genuinely count it as joy because you know God's in it. And you know God's changing you in it. It's a powerful way to live, beloved. It's a powerful way to live. James says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Isn't that your heart's desire? That your faith would be complete, lacking nothing? Isn't that your heart's desire? Our faith is genuine, it's real, it's tested, it's proven. God has shown to me that I am real. I'm not some churchgoer who is deceived. I've come through the fire. And God has burned off the dross. And I'm ready to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You guys remember, it made me think of this, this uh, incident over in Acts chapter 5 where Peter and the apostles, you know, the Sanhedrin had, said stop, had told them to stop preaching. Uh, of course, they didn't stop preaching. Uh, they said, we must obey God rather than men. Amen. What a beautiful thing. We must obey God rather than men. They were flogged for uh, their trouble. And do you remember what the apostles had to say? Acts 5.41. I've always remembered this verse. I still think I remember the first time I read this verse. It's always stuck in my head. They went on their way, what? Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for Christ. Can you ever see you yourself doing this? Can you ever put yourself in their sandals? Can you imagine rejoicing that you have been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of your Creator and your Redeemer? Can you see yourself doing this? Beloved, you say, Jim, you seem like you're pretty far afield from Psalm 117. I'm teasing it all the way out. Okay? I'm teasing it all the way out. What does it mean to praise God? It means we live like this. It's not that I stand in church and mindlessly sing, praise God, praise God. That's, um, that's probably blasphemous. 
So, the suffering of the, of the, the apostles here in Acts 5, it proclaimed the beauty and sufficiency of Jesus now and forever. And their suffering revealed the authenticity of their faith. It's a trial-tested faith. So God calls us to expect and to be fierce in the face of persecution. The Bible says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm going to say it one more time. If you're only moderately interested in Jesus, I don't have anything to offer you. Nor does the Bible. If he's kind of a side interest, if he comes after family, if he comes after children, if he comes after career, if he comes after money, if he comes after pleasure, if he comes after, you know, X, Y, Z. I, I don't have anything to I can't I don't have anything to say to you. I don't have I don't have anything to offer to you. The Bible doesn't speak to those kinds of people. Except repent. That's the only thing that, that's the only message I have for you if you're only moderately interested in Jesus. Repent. So, persecution will come for us. You remember how starkly Jesus talked about this. He said, this will even happen in your family, right? He says, do you suppose that I came to, to bring peace on the earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A man against his father, a daughter against her mother, Matthew 10 and Luke chapter 12. Some of you, I, I hope not, but maybe some of you have experienced this. I know people who have experienced this. People stop being moderately interested in Jesus and they fall hopelessly in love with Jesus and they lose their family. Their family's not interested in that. It's okay, play church if you want. That's no big deal. It doesn't really bother us. But be the light in the house 24-7. We don't want that. Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Beloved, I am teasing Psalm 117 all the way out. Don't you ever think that praise is merely mouthing the word ever again? This is what praise means. When the, when the Bible uses praise, this is what praise means. Down to the shedding of blood. I praise God down to the losing of my life. That's what he means. That's the kind of praise God means. And is that too much for God to ask? Oh, wait a minute. He bled out for you. Okay, I'm getting a little jazzed here, but I'm just, I, all I got, I, I just can't believe, I, I have such a hard time with this mindless, tepid, lukewarm, 
superficial thing that's called Christianity today. All you got to do is read your Bible. That's not what we're called to. So yes, Christians suffer. But here's the good news. You already know it. I think all of you are biblically literate. You already know it. You will overcome. <laughs> right? <laughs> you will overcome. How do we know? How do we know we'll overcome? Well, because my faith is so great. No, because God has said you will overcome because God is holding you. God is holding you. And he says, nothing, nothing in the cosmos can separate you from me. Your invincible God invincibly holds you. It's, it's, it's license, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's complete, total, utter freedom. And, all, you know, the whole world suffers. We understand. We understand the whole world suffers. Why does the whole world suffer? Because, you know, we rebelled against God. Uh, we, we ate of the tree. And God's wrath has been falling on the planet ever since. Yes, evil has run amok, uh, run amok in, in, uh, in the human race. And God's wrath is falling at the same time. So we messed up the world. You know, you get that question, why is the world messed up? Well, okay, we know why it's messed up, because we messed up. The whole world suffers to one degree or another, but Christians suffer particularly because they love Christ. But the beautiful thing is, you already know it, Romans 8.28 is always true. It's true every day. Where the unbeliever suffers and it's just wasted pain, when the believer suffers, it's to God, God's good end. God is working good in the suffering. We will suffer persecution if we truly love Christ. Because if we truly love Christ, we will be truly obeying Christ. We will be truly witnessing for Christ. And the world will want to make you pay a price for that. So, let me just summarize quickly. In our suffering for Christ's sake, at least four things are happening. happening. A, a, a myriad things are happening, but at least four things are happening. Jesus' value is seen. The value of Christ is put on display in your life when you are persecuted for his name. Our faith is tested. It is proven. It is validated. We have license to live large. We know we're real. We know God is holding us. We know nothing can shake us. We know we haven't just believed some myth. We have a relationship. Thirdly, God is sanctifying us, right? We're in, we're in the smelter's fire. And the smelter is, it was it? I forget, is it Micah, chapter 3? The smelter is, 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 is looking and the smelter is intense on the, on the silver in the, in, the, in the fire and he pulls us out just at the right time. So he's sanctifying us. Lastly, God is, is coming to us in a new and powerful and personal way. He meets us in the persecution. We saw it, was it last week? The fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We saw it, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, and we saw... Even in Stephen stoning, Jesus was there. Beloved, are you a Christian? 
you will suffer for it. I guess the only question tonight is, are you ready? Are you prepared? Will you love God and your persecutor in the midst of it? This is what we're called to. <laughs> this is what we are called to. So God is holding us. He's working for our good. He's sanctifying us. He's perfecting our faith and He's bringing us into conformity with His Son. You may remember 1 John 5, 4 through 5. I've preached that text before. John says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I looked up this Greek word translated overcome. Who knows what it is? It's a Greek word. Who knows what it is? It's the most famous athletic apparel in the world. Nike, right? Nike. It means victory. Overcoming victoriously. Conquering is what it means. God says, that's my people, right? Nike. That's my people. So, let me close with an illustration. I probably used it a couple of months ago, but it's so spot on, I have to use it again. Here's a man who was not moderately interested in Jesus, okay? Here's a man who was thrown in prison for his nonconformist preaching. Samuel Rutherford, 17th century Scottish minister, jailed for his preaching. In this trial, this hatred, this insult, this suffering, and this persecution, he was imprisoned. And he made a great discovery about true happiness. Listen to what he writes. If God had told me that he was about to make me as happy as I could be, and then he told me that he would put me in chains and throw me in prison, removing me from all of my, my usual sources of, of enjoyment, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing his purpose. And yet, how his wisdom is manifest in this. He continues, For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room, idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out all of his lamps and then throw open the shutters to let in the light of God. Do you understand the point? Some of you possibly think that your happiness is this little candle, this little temporal, the candle, shall we say, the candle of success or the candle of accomplishment or the, the candle of prosperity or the candle of health, right? And what is Rutherford saying? He's saying the best thing that can happen to you is for God to blow it out. That's the best thing that could happen to you. It's to blow out your idol. That you might see him more clearly. You know, it's like we can't see the blinding light of God because we have this, we have this candle, this little temporal thing in the way. And this is what Rutherford is saying. He says, man, you got to get rid of the idols if you want true joy. you got to get rid of the idols. I'm done. Let me just give you, okay, there's like 12 times in the Revelation. 
where God talks about his people as overcomers. I'm going to give you six, okay? The overcomer will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. The overcomer will not be hurt by the second death. The overcomer will be given authority over the nations. Jesus says, I will confess your name before my Father. I got stuck on that one. Jesus says, he will confess my name to the Father, me. I don't understand how this doesn't change people's lives. I, I don't understand this. I, I've never understood it. It's like we don't really believe it. Right? Okay. The overcomer, Jesus says, I will grant him... Un this is unbelievable. It's unfathomable. I had to read it five times to make sure I was getting it right. Jesus says, to the overcomer, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. Did you know that was in the Bible? How many of you knew it was in the Bible? It almost sounds blasphemous. It's what he says. For the overcomer, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. I don't know what it means. Man, it sounds huge. And you're worried about health, wealth, and prosperity, really? I'll shut up. Last one. The overcomer shall inherit the kingdom of God, beloved, you will suffer. If you're a real Christian, you will suffer. My exhortation to you from Psalm 117, teased way out. Be ready. Praise God in it. Love the persecutor in it. Make Jesus look awesome in it. This is the call. You will overcome. It's the ultimate implication of incarnating Psalm. One seventeen. Let's pray together.